This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink-wide on TSN 1040. Now, here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. <laughs> Welcome to Rink-Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke with you here for the next two hours with the best hockey talk in the city. Uh, J.D., interesting work, work week. Here, uh, yes to both in the lower mainland. Uh, Hub wait, wait, City. Wait, 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 wait. We got to give a shout out. There's a third oh. member to this show today who has given us content for at least two segments, and that would be my dear friend Georgia Twist. Oh my god, I mentioned her in Sports Saturday. That I was just like, that that's, that's amazing. So, we're guys, we're doing a mailbag today. So, if you yeah. do want to get in on the mailbag, you can uh, tweet at uh, J Dylan Burke yeah. and uh, we'll just put it underneath there. We'll, we'll go through the best ones, but. Georgia Twist, who is a uh, uh, regular Van- uh, Canucks Twitter uh, contributor. Does a lot of great artwork for yes, my friends' exactly. articles she and does, stuff. She does some great stuff, but, man, she said she tweeted at us saying, and do you know? Do you have the direct tweet? Or tweet? I can't speak today. Apparently uh, not. Uh, radio show and all. Uh, tweet in front of you. It's basically like who would be. Cast all the 1040 go. people as characters on the wire. Yeah. And I think, like. I'm going to start the show by saying that I am a hybrid <laughs> of of Here we go. of Ziggy. See, I was wondering about Ziggy. Yeah, yeah, for dude, for sure. There's a lot of Ziggy in me. And like if Trevor is listening to this at home right now, he's like, "Yes, 100%." <laughs> Trev is like nodding his head so aggressively that he can barely like contain himself. He might have a concussion right now. He's nodding so hard. <laughs> but also Omar because like I'm that oh, guy God. with a shotgun. No, 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 no. You no, are, no. you are. No, you kinda, hear me out. Yeah, yeah. I start every one of my hits on Friday by insulting Halford and Bruff. I figure that would resonate yeah. with you. Yeah, that's part or, of the course. Or Sakaris, or Sakaris, which again, I figure would resonate with you. Yeah. I, I live by my own code, man, but I do have a code. JD a coming. Oh, JD a coming. <laughs> oh, indeed. Oh, oh indeed. <laughs> I, now, it's pretty easy. And for those of you who have not seen The Wire, this is, well, sorry. But yeah, like, <laughs> you're going to have to go and do your, your you're, homework. You're, you're missing out. Like, take us <laughs> at our word. It, you know what? It, I heard a lot of people say to me, like, before I watched it, and I, I kind of had a vague idea of what The Wire was, what The Wire was about. I can't believe you're on your first go-around. I'm excited for you that you're on your first go-around. Yeah, I'm, I'm just starting season five right now uh, after season four just, like, completely... Like plunged me into the worst depression of my life. It's just so much death. Yeah, but um, it's it's really perhaps one of the best written shows in TV history. And and I thought people were like you know being a little bit uh, what's the word I'm looking for a little over enthusiastic. But no, it's it's lived up to the expectations. Who's Avon Barksdale? Oh, Avon, Avon, somebody who has like a very loose sense of proprieties. Somebody who is beholden to a sense of themselves they cannot escape, and like hmm. their own worst enemy is themselves. Oh, that hi, well, hello, Jason Bruff. <laughs> no, because no, no, come on, Avon's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we have to make uh, some concessions here as well. Uh, what if, <laughs> and if you want to chime in, like the text inbox yes, is open. Ten forty forty. You've got some really awesome stuff to say. I'm going to go rogue right now. You can call in. Yeah, call in six zero four two eight zero ten forty eight four four eight seven six. 
1040. Call in if you want to talk about the wire. You tell us who would be, uh, which T- TSN 1040 personalities would be characters in the wire. Sakaris is Tommy Carcetti. Yeah. I really genuinely believe that yeah. Sakaris is Tommy Carcetti. Um, and he's going to hate okay, me. Okay, so that. I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Who are you? Who am I? Oh, boy. That's actually a tough one. <sighs> I, thought you, I thought I was going to be a candidate for Ziggy because I'm kind of annoying, and Ziggy's kind of annoying. Nobody's more annoying than me. Come that on. That is true. You are the most annoying. Uh, no, like, Ziggy is a kindred spirit. Like, they, they plucked that character from my brain. Um, <laughs> my buddy did a movie with him, by the way. He said he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. I bet you he is. <laughs> I bet you he's awesome. But uh, you, I'm kind of struggling a bit right now. I'm kind of thinking that you might be Ellis Garver. Ellis Carver, sorry, not Garver. Yeah, yeah. I'm terrible with names. Yeah. Like, that That kind of sticks out to me. Uh, very well-meaning, but sometimes... Bit of a loose cannon. A bit of a loose cannon. Sometimes says weird stuff, like <laughs> the Detroit Lions should take a running back high oh in the second round. Oh, my God, here we go. Um, but when th- the Detroit Lions lead the league in <laughs> rushing <laughs> this year... And they're still picking third Johnson. overall next year. Like, I don't care. I don't care if they lose all 16 games. We're leading the league in rushing. Um, and I, I think Bodie is an interesting one. Like, I want to know who at the station is Bodie. I know who Snoop is. Oh, Snoop? Chantel Chan. Yeah, she's cool. Chantel is, she's cool like Chantel Snoop. is cooler than, yeah. like, everyone in this room combined. Oh, 100%. Like, she comes yeah. in, like, a Raiders cap, like, yes. yeah. like a fitted, and I'm just like... By the way, have a discuss like it, like debate a sports topic with her that she's passionate about. Oh, buddy, she she, she can go toe to toe. She knows she can football. go toe to toe with you. She knows um, her hockey too. She knows she knows a lot. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, she's definitely Snoop. And as for who is who is T Mart, I think that's the interesting one. I think that T Mart might be he might be Cedric. Yeah, that's a good point. He could I, be. Daniels. I think he might be Daniels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who is Stringer Bell though? Well, that, that's the ultimate, right? Like, Stringer Bell is the coolest of the cool. However... Also the most evil character. Like, has, hold on. Has Marlo... Do you know about Marlo yet? I know about Marlo. Okay, good. <laughs> Season okay, four good. was a lot of okay. Marlo. Because Marlo is a cool dude as well. I would like to be Marlo. I just don't think I have the cachet. I think that Stringer Bell, though, is the most unique <laughs> character in The Wire, just because, like, if you think about it, he is the one character who isn't beholden to anyone but himself. Like, everybody else has a motivation that is either directly tied to their community or, or the people in their lives, but Stringer Bell doesn't have anybody in his, yeah. life ex- in his life except for Stringer Bell, which makes him such a unique character because in this, this wide color swatch of, of characters who, you know, kind of straddle this line between good and evil, right? Like, I think there's an argument one could make that Omar Little, a jack boy is the most morally righteous character in the True. show. Exactly. And, he, and he He's goes the guy you love the most when yeah, you watch this. He's the most sympathetic character in the show, and he goes around with a shotgun doing hits, right? Yeah. Like, but, but Stringer Bell is the one, like, all evil. McNulty is, uh, is, is Don Taylor. Okay, I can Because everybody that. likes McNulty. He's yeah. kind of like, you know... Well, he's, they he's love the guy. He's a joker. They, he's they, a bit of a playboy. Don Taylor, you know, back in the day when he had the no, uh, no, 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 no. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. Dead wrong. Who is Bruff, it then? Bruff is McNulty. Oh, get out of here. 
No, hear me out. Hear me out. Think about how pissed off you are right now you, with him. You got to be more of an a hole to be to be bruff. So like, give me, give me like like Rawls would be or, or no, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. he's Rawls because McNulty's complex. Like anybody who gets in McNulty's way ends up thinking that McNulty is an asshole. See, I didn't say the actual word, but okay, yeah. CRTC on line one. We're talking about The Wire, in which characters yes. are... <laughs> if you guys tuned in for a hockey show, we're talking about The Wire. And, I mean, uh, look, we haven't had a hockey game in over two yeah. months. Like, if we're going to start having a little fun here and talking we, about who... We, we got plenty of time to talk about hub cities. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of time to talk about that. Uh, by the way, we should tell you guys who's uh, on the show today. That was my uh, Moj there with the by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you had the, the paper thing, too, that Moj does. He's okay. always flipping through binders and stuff. Yeah. Like have you seen him during like fantasy baseball season? Yes, I, well, yeah. And yeah. then also, have you have you also seen the spread that he? Because I'm sitting in Moj's seat for those pulling you behind the curtain here. Yeah. In the studio, like usually there's a spread of food here. You must smell terrible when you're done. Your oh, day I have to disinfect this whole area. Like, don't worry, we got. <laughs> it's a good thing that we're going through a global pandemic and we're actually got this amount of disinfectant in here right now because. It helps with sitting in this chair. But, yeah, there's usually a spread. It looks like a buffet for, like, people to go and just take a plate. Ah, no, no, no. No, a your buf- hand will get... A buffet with, like, cigars. Your, your, your hand and... will get slapped if you try to go in there. He's like Glenn Saylor at Moj. Rangers game. He's got a cigar <laughs> in his mouth that he's not even smoking. It's like a force of habit. Okay, so we do have... We actually have guests coming up today. We're not just going to talk about The Wire and belittle all our uh, colleagues around here. But Jeff Patterson's coming up in about 16 minutes. Who was Jeff Patterson? <laughs> Well done. And then we have uh, Thomas Drance in the second hour from the Athletic in Vancouver. Do you have a Drance? Do you do a Drance voice as well? I can't do a Drance voice. You know why? Because his laugh is so demonic. Oh, it's laugh. like a demonic baby. It's like, <laughs> I can't actually do it. <laughs> there it is. You know, like, it's, it, on the, it's so weird because, like, there are demonic undertones to Drance's laugh, and yet it is the most heartwarming thing ever. It's like... Oh, yeah, I just got dumped today. Uh, I got fired, too, somehow. And also, all my stuff's been expropriated by the government in a weird twist of faith where finally they're they're coming for me. But if I hear that laugh, I'll be happy. Yeah, exactly. LB and North fans like, what the hell are you guys talking about? We were talking about The Wire, LB. If you um, haven't watched it, go and watch it. I know there's a lot of people out there that want to... You got the time for it right oh, now. Like, you've got the time. I just... I, I'm excited for you. Like I like I, I remember my first time going through it. I'd, I'd be like, I'd go to work and then I'd be excited to go home just so I could binge like three or four episodes. I I needed a break after season four. Yeah, I I needed a, a big time break because that was just so hard on my soul. Um, <laughs> and like you'll find that I don't know. It's it's such a beautifully written series. Like every character has their own little soliloquy before they pass like they get to level with the audience they get to level with themselves it's just it's, it's beautiful yeah, it's, it's, br- it's shakespearean yeah, yeah, it's sometimes brilliant, brilliant writing uh thomas trance does some brilliant writing as well we're going well, to talk Harmon, to him harman does better writing <laughs> we're going to talk to him about a few of his articles that he's had on the athletic this week including trying to figure out you know how to piece together a defense mm-hmm. for the canucks because yeah that's going to be something that they're going to have to do uh, in the offseason as well, as well as ranking their prospects, which, of course, is, hits home with you, being that uh, you work for Elite Prospects. So we'll get uh, his take on all of that and, of course, uh, JD's input as well. Maybe you can push back maybe on... Uh, no, like he's wrong they... about a lot of stuff. Oh, perfect. There we go. Well, that's going to make for great uh, radio as well. But, yeah, Jeff Patterson's going to talk to us as well uh, in about 14 minutes. He, he did a one-on-one with uh, Sven Berchi, and some interesting stuff came out of that. Um, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked John Abbott. 
mm-hmm. earlier on mm-hmm. Sports Saturday. Sven Berchi, is it just the contract? Is that the only thing that's basically holding him back from being an NHL player still? Uh, yeah, because I think like he would have been acquired. like If he was on a one-year deal last season, I think he's on another team playing hockey right now. I think the LA Kings take him, for example, as opposed to Tim Schaller in that trade. Yeah. And and I, I still think it's kind of silly that because he has the extra season, nobody is taking him. But you know what? It's not. Yeah, but it's a cap league, and you, you, you have every dollar counts, right? And as we've and seen, it doesn't so. look so silly now because the cap's going to remain flat. So yeah. So well, and, and again, I'm going to talk to Jeff about this as well. But like, what's your opinion? Like, so what what happens to Sven Berchi next year? Because Canucks are not going to buy him out. I think they are. You think so? I do. Well, like, what else are they going to do? Bury, just, just bury, bury him in three, the bury him in the NHL for you save way more money. Yeah, if you buy him. What out. is you, it's about a two million dollar saving? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have the exact number on me. If they send him to the minors, they save nine hundred k. If they buy him out, he's gone. They clear up a contract slot, and they clear about I think two million dollars off the cap next season. Gotcha. What about but, this? But it uh, would extend into next year too. There's a drawback, right? Like yeah. it. it because there's one of course, year left, you gotta, yeah, then yeah. they spread it out over two. Um, Ab suggested the concussions and how you know there was the questions on whether he was going to be able to continue to play hockey, which he proved he, he could, and he, was, he mm-hmm. had a very good season in the AHL. Of course, I mean, he has NHL skills, so of course he's going to have a good season playing in the minors. But, you know, Ab sort of brought that up, and then, you know, when you have the Jim Benning quote with the hard skill, soft skill. But the, the way I pushed back on that was, well, they don't seem to have a problem keeping the door open for Michael Furlan. No kidding. Now, there could be an argument, and, and I'm sure I'm going to see this in the inbox in 3, 2, 1. How do you square but that someone, circle? Someone's going to say, well, he's a different, he brings a different game. You know, he plays a harder game, but he's also having concussion problems. Yeah, so how I, is that hard game working out for Michael Furlan? And how is that going to work out as you, you know, move down the road with you know, concussion history, right? Yeah. No, I'm, like, it's, it's impossible for those two things to be true. Like, simple as that. Like, mm-hmm. it's impossible for those two things to be true because it's Sven Berchi's concussions are too dangerous, but Michael Furlan's aren't. Huh? But, and, and again, like I said, too, is like, now, but are you going to ask Michael Furlan to continue to be Michael Furlan with the concussion history that he has? In my experience covering the sport, you can't get players to change their game. You yeah. know, like, think of how many suspensions and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Matt Cook had to lose before he was like, hmm, maybe I should stop trying to murder people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's ingrained in you. Like, that's what Michael Furlan's been doing for 26, 27 years of his life. Yeah. Why is he going to stop now? It's just, it's too instinctual. Where are you at on this Hub City thing? I know we, we've batted it around a few weeks here. Where, where are you at today on it? To be honest with you, like, it's one of those instances where... As with a lot of the COVID-19 dialogue, I, I find myself often just deferring to the people who have all the necessary information. Like, if they can make a compelling case for how this will work, then I'll hear them out. And I think that the way BC has handled the COVID-19 pandemic, I think they've earned a, a bit of trust on that front. Granted, I'm not really hearing anything from the Canucks organization itself, which is peculiar given the connection and the fact that it would be in rogers arena and that they might be playing playoff games it's it's very peculiar that we haven't heard from the team itself but you know what i think they're trying to stay a little bit out of the spotlight right now for different reasons so i i just i'm like i said I'll, i'll have to hear out the evidence but for me personally it's like it i i just keep coming back to this they're gonna try to start up the league 
because they have so many financial obligations, particularly as a part of their TV deal. Oh, yeah, I get all of that. I, like, I know why they want to get back. Because but it just seems like there's going to be a positive test and then it's over. Well, they're saying that they're, even if there is one, they, it might not disrupt the whole thing. So. Yeah, which is cruel, yeah. which is insane. Exactly, and that's like, where I... That, that that's should where, be like... That's, where I, that's where I wonder why Vancouver, because you know, if someone comes in, they test positive... Like, did they bring it in with them? Like, I, you don't at this point, right? Or is there going to be testing before everybody, you know, gets on the plane and makes their way here if here is going to be you the have, hot city? You like, have to test every day before practice, Yeah, every day before games. You would have to test uh, as they got to the city. And the other thing to consider, too, is that the players coming from the United States, like the, the Canadian government has said repeatedly, we're not going to change the rules for athletes. Yeah. Which would mean have they, though? Because there are people, there Trudeau are still, there are still people ha- like that are, have been able to get over the border. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can like, get over it's the border. Because of work related and whatnot. But right? you have but to go into like a 14 day quarantine. Okay. So I think like one of the figures I read was that basically, assuming they try to restart the season, there is going to be a four to six week delay once these players even reach their hub city before play can start. Like that's how do you work with that? Stars owner uh, Tom Glardy was on the station yesterday. I want you to listen to this clip and then we'll react to it. Well, I think that the league is determined to uh, complete the season. And um, I would concur that that that, uh, not finishing the season is not in, is not in Gary's mind at all. So um, I expect that we will play the season, and um, I think uh, we're down to logistics. And you know, I, I keep I keep saying it. My p- people who talk to me are tired of hearing it, but it really comes down to being able to test and uh, you know effectively test on a timely basis. And if we can if we can test, I think the season is going to happen. Okay, so the biggest quote that I got out of that is not completing the season is not in Gary's mind at all. Gary doesn't get to dictate that. That's, that is the one issue that I have about all of this is that, yeah, the NHL can say, yeah, we're looking at Edmonton, we're looking at Vancouver, we're looking at, you know, Florida. I mean, they might be best to look at Florida because it seems like they're wide open right now. Wait, 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 wait. On the Florida point, they've been doing wrestling, WWE, there for two months. Mm -hmm. I know this because my roommate Justin is obsessed with all things wrestling, um, which means that tangentially I am somehow. But, uh, They've been wrestling for two months without a single positive. Without test. a single positive test. And Florida is like. But then the UFC had the one event, and they already had a guy like right away. So yeah, and Florida is like a an absolute hellscape right now. Like the amount of positive cases that they're getting. Oh, I know. But again, th- this is what Boy. I'm saying. So this my, is not my boss is based in Florida, and I just like every time I talk to him, it's like, Ugh. but this isn't Gary's decision to make. Like ultimately, well, no. it's going to come down to the health authorities. So for Gilardi to say, well, it's not in Gary's uh, mind to you know not complete the season. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, but Gary, you don't get to yeah. make that decision. Gary, you don't get to decide whether people die or not. Ascent, you know, or, or <laughs> you don't get the decision to, you know, you know, well, further other people trying to start up hockey again. And this I think coronavirus has given us the hysteria. Yeah, this COVID-19, <laughs> we're talking about starting up hockey again. And I've got something big to announce. It's pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, yeah, I learned two things today. You've got a pretty good Gary Batman and you've got a good bruff. Like, I like your bruff. Uh, my bruff is inconsistent. Well I'm, I'm going to let you down. Yeah, well, it's like bruff then, right? Yeah. So. Have you not heard the morning show? I'm 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 Switzerland on this beef. Like I'll join their show and make fun of them for being old and white, but like I am out on this beef. All right, on the other side, we're gonna bring in the man that always 
does something. That's Jeff Patterson is joining us here on Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. Now, more of Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. <laughs> Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. Jeff Patterson, TSN 1040's Canucks reporter, going to join us in just a moment. We're, we're actually debating right now because we did ask you guys for a mailbag today, and we appreciate all the questions you guys have sent in. We're going to dive into those. Uh, in the second hour of the show, but we had a great one today, and we were asked who of the 1040 you know, staff would be characters in The Wire, and we were trying to figure out who Jeff Patterson's is, so let's bring Jeff in, because this falls completely on its face if he has never watched The Wire. So Jeff, have you ever watched The Wire? Never watched The Wire. Okay, we're done with it. We'll talk about it on the other hour, uh, on the other side, though. I have a couple of characters who I think Jeff could be, but it's not going to make any sense for J-Pat because he doesn't know anyway, so we'll discuss. Well, I have a start to the segment, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, my, we, my, we, we, my favorite J-Pat character is the one that was on <laughs> Stanch's <laughs> podcast. Which one? What? The Wyatt, he put out the podcast with yeah. J-Pat about baking. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, that was my I favorite. I heard about this. What, what, what is this all about? Is, are you guys are you starting a, a cooking show or something like that? I think J.D. can probably handle this question better than I can. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think of the impression, J.Pat? I've been shy about unholstering that one, but now that it's out there. It needs work. It needs work. It could be better. It could be better. Totally needs work. It's one of J.D.'s hidden talents. I don't think people realize this. I mean, he's got so many. Uh, I read read about them on Twitter all the time. (laughs) Um, But he's got an arsenal of impressions that he does sometime. Uh, you know, if things get really thin, if they're not there already in the <laughs> hockey world, uh, he may be able to devote a segment to, uh, you know, his impressions of the entire uh, sort of veteran Vancouver media scene, uh, the sports scene uh, here in town. There you go. We've got a segment idea. There we go. We'll put that I, one I the, should call in, in the back and guest spots yeah, as, as media members. Uh, Jeff, you had a chance to talk to Sven Berchi, uh this week, and uh, one of the quotes that uh, stuck out, if, of course, is, I don't want to be back in the minors, is what he told you. And uh, Well, I mean, I've asked uh, John this, and I asked JD this as well. Is it just his contract that kept him in the minors? Is he an NHL player still? I think there's one more NHL act left in Sven Berchi. I don't know where it's going to come or when it's going to come. I don't think it'll be in Vancouver. But I do think that he's uh, a middle six forward uh, on some teams. One of the quotes that jumped out at me was, you know, I can play for any team in the National Hockey League. Uh, some of the teams may think else uh, otherwise. But, you know, I understand self-confidence. You kind of have to have that mentality as a pro athlete. Some of it's bravado, I suppose. But, you know, he has been damaged goods for the last couple of seasons. He's only played 32 NHL games over the last two seasons, was limited to 26 with the concussion and the post-concussion syndromes uh, back in 2018-2019. And then, of course, uh, last year doesn't make the team out of camp, gets put on waivers, sent down, and got recalled for six games in early November when Michael Furland was injured, Brandon Sutter, Tyler Mott, all of a sudden, the Canucks uh, were short on forwards, and so they turned to the minors, and they brought Berchi up, and he got into six games. He had a couple of assists. He didn't score, and, you know, I asked him about his time, and, and he admitted that, you know, he's a guy that had to have a bottom line, and he didn't. Um, and so he was a little frustrated there 
And if you guys recall, like his final game came in Dallas, a 6-1 disaster for the Canucks at the start of a six-game road trip, and it had nothing to do with his offense, but there was a play when Tyler Fadun, of all people, uh, the Dallas Stars defenseman, jumped Berchi to a loose puck and scored. And look, if Sam Berchi's not going to contribute offensively, and he's already on a short leash, you know, he just he can't have defensive lapses like that, and that sort of sealed his fate, and that was it. He was sent back to Utica and never seen again at the National Hockey League level. So, you know, first and foremost, he's healthy, and I think he proved that. He played uh, almost all the games that were available to him in the American Hockey League this year. He missed a little bit of time with a, a high ankle sprain. But as far as the head injuries, you know, I think he proved to himself and to the hockey world in general that, you know, he was able to suit up on a nightly basis and play and contribute. And he had a decent offensive season, 46 points in 43 games, but you know he didn't lead the Comets in scoring. In fact, uh, he was fourth on that team. So Reed Boucher, Nikolai Goldobin, even Justin Bailey outproduced him at the American Hockey League level. And uh, you know, so there was some production, but it wasn't like he lit the AHL on fire. He's going to be 28 whenever next season rolls around. So you know, it is sort of uh, in the next little while here. It has to happen for him. Uh, but the 3.4 million bucks at the NHL level, I think, uh, is off-putting for most teams. And, you know, it comes down to the question of, you know, will the Canucks be willing to eat some of that salary to make a move? And should they, you know, or do they bury it and get the cost savings there and just ride out one more year with this guy as an insurance policy, I suppose, if, in fact, they run into more injury problems. But, you know, I wonder about the Canucks and where they are. Uh, you know, if they're eating salary on a guy like Berchi, and bearing, or Bering even, uh, you know, they've got Ryan Spooner's buyout still on the books. They've got the Luongo recapture. They've got bonus overages. And this is a team that needs every dollar available to it to try to improve what they've got right here, right now. So, you know, you can't be throwing a ton of money away. And you wonder about a sweetener as well. If You know, is that what it would take, whether it's uh, retaining salary or attaching something uh, to move the Sven Berti contract? So really curious to see where it goes. Uh, I mean, I... I you know, I had somebody suggest that maybe he has to survive one more year in the minors, be an unrestricted free agent at this time next year, and you know, maybe an expand, expansion Seattle. Like maybe they would take a look at a guy that has a bit of a track record at the NHL level of producing offense. So uh, who knows where it goes? But I just don't get the sense that we're going to see him back in the Canucks uniform again. Would the leash have been a little bit longer, perhaps, with a a different coach? Is it, was it just Travis Green being like, "All right, I'm done with this guy. I can't. I, I got. We got to move on." Yeah, I mean, look, they've got a long history that goes back to their time together in Portland in the Western Hockey League, and, you know, Travis spoke of that at, at length, and so I think he had felt in his mind he had given San Berti a number of chances, but, you know, just organizationally, they seemed like they had shifted when they went out and they acquired J.T. Miller, and then they signed Michael Furland, and we know that the coach uh, likes Josh Levo when he's healthy and available to him, and, you know, there's sort of that similarity in those three guys. They're all bigger, play a different style than Sven Berchi does, and it seems like the Canucks wanted to go in that direction. And you remember the quote from Jim Benning talking about heavy skill, and, uh, you know, that's not how uh, many people would describe Sven Berchi in the way that he plays. So, you know, was it a – I didn't ever get the sense that it was personal between the coach and the player, but just the philosophy of the coaching staff and the organization uh, looked like they had shifted and in some ways left Sven Berchi – uh, in the dirt. Now, he had the quote to me as well that he didn't feel uh, or he felt that the organization didn't believe he was ever going to recover and return to the NHL 
you know, after those concussions. And I thought that was telling as well. And so, you know, from that, I think he returned to the lineup late that season, got in a couple of games that, you know, probably just put his mind at ease that, hey, I am back in the NHL, I can play. He had the offseason, the Canucks made the changes that I mentioned. And then it's sort of reading between the lines. He didn't come right out and say it, but I I got the sense that he didn't feel he got uh, a fair chance necessarily or a fair shake at camp and in the preseason last year that the Canucks had kind of made up their mind already on the, you know, the wing positions in the top six, and he didn't fit into the mold that they had there. So, you know, he came to camp, he played in the preseason, he felt that he had done all right there, but, you know, I think he felt that he was always kind of destined to be the odd man out, and ultimately that is what happened to start the season. Talking to Jeff Patterson, TSN 1040's Canucks reporter. Jeff, do you think there's any way for Canucks fans to reconcile the way that the organization is handled uh, Sven Berchi's litany of concussions with the recent addition of Michael Furland in free agency and the continued chances and opportunities that they tried to thrust onto his plate this season as a means of getting him back into the lineup recovering from concussions. Because looking at this objectively, it's hard to reconcile that Sven Berchi's concussions were disqualifying as it relates to an NHL career, but Michael Furland's concussions playing a much more aggressive brand of hockey warranted a four-year contract in free agency. Do you think that there's a way for people to make sense of that, to square that circle? Probably not. I mean, I, I think you, you, know, you lay it out there pretty clearly that, you know, and it's not like they inherited Sven Berchi and they felt that they just had to, you know, deal with him. I mean, this was a guy that they went out and they acquired. So, you know, he was one of their guys, just as Michael Furland was, uh, you know, the, the acquisition was different, obviously, in that Furland was an unrestricted free agent. But, uh, you know, there were red flags. I think people wondered uh, about the signing of Furland at the time. And sure enough, uh, basically a lost season for him. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, to me, J.D., when you look at Sven Berchi, um and I think people forget, like, this is a guy that had 14 goals in 53 games um, the season before he signed his contract and 18 goals in 68 games as well. Both of those put him on pace to score 20-plus in the National Hockey League. And so when he signed the three-year $10 million ticket, like, it seemed like it was maybe a little on the high side, but at the same time, like, it didn't seem like it was completely out of the realm of possibility that Sven Berti was going to be a 20-25 to 25 goal scorer for the Canucks for you know, the the length of that three-year deal. And ultimately, now two of the years are in the books, and it just hasn't happened for him. So um, it is interesting to sort of see the way that he was, I don't know if discarded is the right word to use, but, I mean, that's probably the way that he feels about things. And so, you know, I've had some people suggest to me, like, what if? What if they can't sign Tyler Toffoli as an unrestricted free agent? Like, would they double back, and would they look at Sven Berchi, you know, as an option in the in the top six? But... It comes back to your point. They've got Furland, who we're told is going to be healthy and ready to go whenever next season rolls around. Don't know about the fate of Josh Levo, but uh, again, I think uh, within the organization, they acquired him, and you know, I don't think that they feel they've seen the best of him yet, so I think they're going to take a run at trying to retain Josh Levo. It's just a question of uh, is there enough money to go around, and you know, when I look at that right there, uh, you know, you're running out of spots in your top six because I think there are guys that are certainly still ahead of Sven Berchi in the organization's mind. And that's why I come back to my conclusion is that he's not going to get a chance to play for the Canucks again unless something really remarkable happens in terms of uh, the injury bug. But I do think that there is a team out there somehow, some way, whether it's uh, with help from the Canucks this year or as an unrestricted free agent a year from now, 
you know, that would take a, a bit of a flyer on Sven Berchi and hope that they find some value in a guy that's basically been out of the National Hockey League now for a couple of seasons. Now, shifting gears off of the ice, and this is a topic that I think we're almost at its expiration date. Almost. But, I mean, you're a part of the Canucks commentariat. I want to hear your take. What are you getting from the organization's stance on uh, Judd Brackett, some of what we're seeing in the media right now play out? I mean, you've, you've been around a while, and I, I'm sure you haven't seen many situations like this in Vancouver's past, and really curious to get your, your perspective on this one. Yeah, well, we're not getting much from the organization, that's for sure, and uh, they've sort of circled the wagons on that one. Um, you know, it, it just it feels to me like, as has been reported, that uh, it's water under the bridge. Like, I just don't see that there's any way that these two sides can patch up their differences, and you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, the proof is in the pudding that the last couple of years, the scouting department has been one of the strengths of the Vancouver Canucks. And so, you know, this is where I come back to leadership and management and upper management, even to ownership. If you've got something that's working for you, like where is somebody to step in here and behind closed doors try to get to the bottom of it? Where are the differences? You know, are they irreconcilable? Um, but it certainly feels that way. And so, uh, you know, I said on the air the other day that, you know, they are taking a bit of a pounding in the court of public opinion, and there hasn't been much, if any, pushback from the organization. And if they felt that the stories that are out there about the way that it's been handled and the way that uh, Judd Brackett has sort of been ostracized, if you will, you know, if they felt that that was misinformation, that I thought maybe somebody would come out and try to set the record straight, but you know, really, it's been silenced there, and and that's sort of the standard operating procedure, right? Like I, I read the other day that Brad Tree Living in Calgary is doing a weekly conference call with the media, uh, just to keep them sort of up to speed on the organization and all that's going on uh, with the Flames through this COVID period. You know, Jim Benning was made available to the media when the Canucks signed uh, Will Lockwood way back when. And again, when they announced the signing of Nils Hoaglander, but those are the only two times that uh, we in the media have, you know, had broad access to the general manager of this hockey club, and they've both been because of signings. Uh, There just hasn't been this opportunity to to get to him. And I know when I asked about Judd Brackett, and it was the day that they signed Hoaglander, you know, I put the question to Jim, and he just said, look, uh, Judd's still with us for now. Uh, I think that tells you all you really need to know that in the eyes of the general manager that there was a condition on you know his stay in the organization, and he said it's for now. So it's unfortunate. Uh, I think from the outside, from the fans' perspective, you know they just want something that's been working, right? And the scouting department has produced uh, players with the high picks, as we know, but also had success deeper in the draft. And uh, not that that can't continue. But it just, it, it sort of, I think, feels needless that this has to go the way it's gone and it's going to lead to this divorce when, uh, you know, I think that people look at some of the decisions that have been made from the top end of this hockey club when it comes to whether it's free agency or trades, and those are different departments I get, but all of a sudden, if you're going to squeeze people out and the decision, the decision makers at the top remain the same, you know, then I think it comes down to consumer confidence. And uh, if you're the ownership of the Vancouver Canucks, these are extraordinary times. We know that, that, uh, you know, they're going to have tickets to sell and try to get people fired up and excited about this uh, group again once uh, they hit the ice. And I certainly would be leery if I was the ownership of the Vancouver Canucks that, uh, you know, you want to keep your fan base 
happy, and one scout isn't going to make it or break it. Look, Trevor Linden, the most one of the most important figures in 50 years of Canucks hockey and certainly one of the most popular, uh, he got ousted, and this team survived and continued to play on, you know, and, and so this team will move on past Judd Brackett as well, but you just wonder, uh, as these stories sort of bubble to the surface, what else is happening behind the scenes in the offices at Rogers Arena, and that's where it comes back, for me at least, it comes back to consumer confidence in this hockey club and the way that it's managed. Speaking of consumer confidence, uh, Hub City and Vancouver being floated about as a hub city still, and Premier Horgan on the station yesterday saying, and I quote, it would be good for the soul of British Columbians, but also suggested that it would just be a blip in terms of uh, what it would do for the economy here. Are you surprised that Francesco Aquilini has not come out and said why the Canucks are doing this, why they are a part of this proposal? No, not for a second. Francesco Aquilini doesn't have a public uh, profile. I mean, we've known that uh, in his ownership time uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. But they do have people like Trent Carroll, who is the you know, COO of this organization, and he's one of the public-facing voices and certainly at the top of the chain on the business side. And I don't think the Canucks have done a particularly good job of you know, helping build his profile and get him out there so that he's a name and a face that people not just know, but, but they can trust. And so, uh, you know, I've covered this team for decades and certainly have been here as long as the Aquilinis have been the majority owners. Uh, Francesco Aquilini just doesn't like speaking publicly. And I, I, look, I don't need Mark Cuban. I don't need Jerry Jones. But with one phone call, we were able to get the owner of the Dallas Stars on the radio station yesterday. So, you know, it can happen. It does happen. And I think from time to time, uh, a couple of times a season perhaps, you know, it would be in Francesco Aquilini's best interest to speak publicly. But, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, on the regular because I do think he has people in his employ that certainly can speak for him and for the organization. And that's where a guy like Trent Carroll comes into this equation because, you know, I think he's sort of the guy that's been the go-between between between the National Hockey League and the province and trying to put this Canucks uh, bubble bid together. So, you know, I'd like to hear from him at the very least. I'd like to know the size and the scope of this. We keep hearing, you know, sort of conflicting reports. The Premier will come out and talk about all these Western Hockey League centers around British Columbia that he thinks are capable of hosting. And then Tom Gallardi yesterday shot that down in a hurry as an NHL owner said, no way. And this is a guy that owns the Kamloops Blazers as well. So he understands the, you know, inner workings of the Western Hockey League and junior hockey rinks in general. And so, you know, yeah, I'd like to see some of the misinformation cleaned up, but I'd like to know uh, this Canucks proposal, uh, you know, how far afield? Does it involve Abbotsford and Langley? Is it the Pacific Coliseum? Is it UBC? Like, which buildings are involved? And, you know, there are some other questions as well that I certainly would uh, like to know. And, uh, you know, I've put some questions and put some feelers out, but, uh, you know, we just, we're not getting a whole lot from the organization and, uh, the other part too is like the premier seems a little drunk right now on sports. Like I'm not quite sure he's got this pandemic to worry about in the province, and yet appearing on sports radio multiple times. He was tweeting to Don Taylor yesterday, so not quite sure what's going on with the premier uh, right here right now. But uh, he's made it pretty clear that uh, he wants the province of British Columbia uh, to play a central role in the return to the ice of the National Hockey League. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no World Cup, but. Uh... Global pandemic, giddy up. Bring the NHL here. Hmm. Interesting. All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. I think this is your first hit this season on Rinkwide, so we, we appreciate that for you slumming it with us on a Saturday.
All right, guys, carry on. Have a good long weekend. That's Jeff Patterson, TSN 1040 Canucks reporter. We should unpack all of that on the other. I, do, you, do you have a manifesto today, or do you want to? I was going to be honest. Like, what, what am I supposed to write? All right, about? let's unpack all that on the other side. It's like, right wide. It's the show I, that I always can do scores. history again. No, let's not do that on TSN 1040. Now, more of Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's a show that always scores. And we've got a manifesto coming in hot. We're going to be talking about the Finnish Winter War, which was fought during 1939 following the Soviet purges of their Ah, that a boy. Well done, Croker. <laughs> just bought him down. Turn the damn mic off. <laughs> Amazing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Walking off now. I'm walking off. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I would love to talk about the Winter War, but I just don't know if uh, anybody wants to hear me talk about it. Yeah, some good stuff there uh, from J-Pat. Um, he made a great point about the Canucks in terms of, okay, if it's not going to be Aquilini, if he's not going to be your face man, if he's not going to be the guy to speak for the upper management, that not hockey operations guys, I guess you could say, right, right. that Trent Carroll should, you know, why are they not getting out and, you know, and that's the thing too, is that like, in, sort of a, uh, in terms of the, you know, public sort of confidence is <laughs> what, what, you know, like clearly there's people here that aren't hockey fans, mm-hmm. aren't sports fans that are like, why the heck do we want to bring people into our city right now when, you know, everything is just completely, you know, up in the air in terms of we don't know anything about exactly what's happening with the COVID-19 crisis mm-hmm. here. We still don't have a vaccine. We still aren't on top of it. You know, you know BC's been BC's been better than BC's a lot. Really but again, well. like things can spike. Lowest we, deaths per million I get in that. The world. But we again, we're, we we can see the what's the the line the forest through the trees uh, but uh, can we see the forest for the trees there you go my point is this is that we're not through it yet so i'm wondering why you know they want to be a part of this i'm also wondering why they're not out there explaining it that's all yeah i mean like that's a totally reasonable thing to ask and and like never even mind that it's like there's so many different reasons that we should be hearing from the organization right now and you can talk about the proposal to play at Rogers Arena or the interior, you name it, right? Well, I think they should. They would be more inclined to talk about that than about the other stuff with Bracket, I think. Yeah, but like they, they should be getting out in front of that. Mm-hmm. I, the only problem, of course, is... I, that, I'm actually, I don't, I, to me, I don't, I don't feel like they need to with the Bracket thing. I, I think there's a consumer confidence issue there. Perhaps, but I also think, again, like, yeah. Trev's, like, like, like Trev said, like Jeff said, uh, I mean... They got rid of Trevor Linden, and they're able to weather that storm, mm-hmm. so to speak. I'm sure they can get through Judd Brackett. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes and no, though, because Trevor Linden was grouped in with, with Benning and Weisbrod as part of the architects of that. And it was year. amicable, of course, right? Yes, so, yes, it was yeah, a ma- yeah, let's amicable. Not, let's not forget about that. Yeah, like when Trev finally runs out of patience for me, it's going to be an amicable split. <laughs> See, Trevor's getting involved in this. Uh, the I wire know, discussion. I know, I know. Well. We're, we're growing out. We both agree that Matt is Tommy Carcetti. Yeah, I think he's Carcetti. Hundred yeah. yeah, percent. No, I, I agree with that. Did I disagree with it? In the no, no, you didn't. But mm. I'm just like totally on board with this now. I'm going to call Sakaris Tommy Carcetti next time I see him, and he's going to be like, "What are you?" Anyone about? that doesn't know the wire listening right now, yeah. completely have no idea what we're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, totally. So but guess like, what? You got to watch the wire. Yeah, now. the burden is on you. <laughs> I'm going to see Matt. I'm going to be like, hey, what's up, Tommy? He's going to be like, J.D., what are you talking about now? That's pretty good. Yeah. Somebody wanted to hear the J-Pat impression. Need to hear the impression. Well, I'd be happy to do the Jeff Patterson. We just had him on the program. And I, I, 
I think it's weird that we haven't heard from the organization. They've got to prove to us why we should do this. Oh, you had a perfect ending there. Why we should do something. I know, but I had to kind of keep you off balance. All right. right. Keep us on our toes. Uh, By the way, guys, uh, we are taking questions in our mailbag today. We're going to do that around 2.30. Coming up next, we're talking to the Tiny Drancer. Thomas Drant's going to join us on the other side. It's rink-wide. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. Now, more of rink-wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. i got to get back on the music. This is already, like, boring me to sleep. Gangstar. Yeah, 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 I know. Like, wow, that. This used to be our title song, didn't it not? I, I don't know. Like, it would have resonated in 19, Actually, when, hold like, on. No, we have Gangstar as our intro music. Yeah, Gangstar's fine. Whatever. No triple X. So, you come in, you diss it, and then you change your stance all in the same. Yeah, it's whatever. All right. That's the millennial in you. Uh, okay, boomer. <laughs> God, I hate that. I'm not even a boomer. <laughs> It just bothers me so much. Uh, Thomas Drance is coming up from The Athletic in Vancouver in just a moment. If you missed any of the first hour, podcast will be up at the end of the show. Uh, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. And, and while you're there, us. review us. There you go. Actually, we got a review. You should wait for me to throw that to you. That's good radio. You always step on me when I get to that part. Yeah, no, I'm learning from Sakaris. Mm, yeah, based he on, does. Yeah. Based on my last interview with yeah. him, I think the way that you're supposed to do radio is it's just, just talk over your guest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never let anybody get a word in. We got one review since the last show. It's oh. uh, one star. Oh, okay. Uh, the subject line is bad. <laughs> and it reads, J.D. Burke is a creep. Nothing about me? Nothing about you. I feel good about that then. I'm right. Yeah. So you're bringing the show down. I guess. I need to replace you. I think that's what it is. Well, I don't know. Trev's on my side all of a sudden. That's all. Yeah, all of a sudden, Trev's on Team JD, it seems like. (laughs) Old Team Art. Yeah. Loving him some JD these days. Uh, Yeah, I guess you did miss any of the show, guys. so fleeting. (laughs) We did have Jeff Patterson on earlier. We talked about Sven Berchi. We talked about uh, the Hub City and the Canucks and. Whether or not we want to hear from management, I know I did my editorial on that earlier today. I, I want someone from the Canucks to, to come out and talk about it, but we'll uh, talk to Thomas Drance about that as well. Maybe Drancer's got some input on this as well. Maybe he's got some intel on well, it He's as always well. you know, getting his little information you know, hand-fed to him by people in positions of authority. So this is a perfect setup for him, actually. See, I don't have beef with Drance. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to be involved in this 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 anti drance he just go, on he goes to the because trough. i like i like he goes know, to the trough i get and what you're saying little content pellets yes, of information yes, from I get people it, in I get power yeah thomas come on into the conversation and oh what's up buddy here because jd is being a jackass once again hey this is not me i got no beef with td i'll tell you that no i look i always think it's brave of someone to take such a hard line stance when i'm doing them a favor by accommodating them 40 minutes after they uh <laughs> after they originally <laughs> told me that I was supposed to be on the program. Uh-huh. Um, there I you told go. My wife, I told my wife, I said, I've got radio to do at one thirty, and J.D. pleads with me. Please, I'm so sorry. I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> oh, my. I'll be on until 2.10. I say, no problem. I say, no problem. But I, I, I don't sort of tell my wife that I've adjusted. So at, at one forty, I hear the blender going, and that's always a good sign that, uh, that I've made a mistake here. My wife comes in with a daiquiri. It's a, Ooh, it's a nice. Thing. So well, what, what I mean to say by this is that the 40 minutes 
that I should have been on your show and wasn't. You've I been drinking. drinking tequila. Yes. So all right, we'll see how this goes, but but. Consider this your fair warning, JD. Oh yeah. Now, now we can now we can really get the information that we wanted to get. We got Trance well, drunk. You, you know that thing Trance always does. He holds his tongue when it comes to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Exactly. 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 Restraint is the word that I usually use to describe our relationship. So, so what are we talking about, boys? Let's okay. Go. So, uh, so uh, let me put this on the table first, because I ranted on this this morning uh, you know, on Sports Saturday. Uh, this sure. whole Hub City thing, Vancouver, we're hearing from the Premier. He's really excited about hockey. He's telling us how it's good for the soul of British Columbians to perhaps have that here. Why are we not hearing from the Canucks? I said in particular from the top, from Francesco Accolini, I want to know why they're involved in this, if there's no economic benefit or at least a blip from what the Premier said. Jeff Patterson said, well, okay, Aquilini doesn't normally do these sort of things. Maybe even Trent Carroll. Drancer, anybody. Why are they not coming out and explaining to the public? Because there's a lot of people in the public that are like, we don't want this. Why are they not defending their stance on this? Yeah, look, it's fascinating. I mean, I was excited to wake up this morning and watch some Dortmund highlights, some Halland goals. Um, I noticed, too, while watching some of the recaps from the Bundesliga that uh, Hertha Berlin defender Dedrick Boyata broke through the protocol when he kissed one of his teammates on the face after they scored a goal. Oh, and you know that start. that's going to be seen all over Germany yeah. today because while the sports world celebrates the return of a major professional league like the, like the Bundesliga in the Western world, um, in Germany it's a very, very controversial sort of issue. And the rules in place, like, you can't, if you're media or support staff, for example, you can't get to the arena um, unless you drive yourself there, for example. Like, no public transpo, no walking, right? You have to drive yourself there. You have to be sort of insulated. Uh, ball boys were wearing gloves and face masks and had been medically cleared prior uh, to the games. Augsburg's coach is missing um, a game missed the game today because he snuck out of his quarantine, his 14-day quarantine, to buy toothpaste. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of issues that arise when you get into this in real time, as the Bundesliga did today successfully. And then, even if you get there, it's one thing to start up the league, and it's a whole different thing to finish it. Um, you know, we've heard from the likes of Rob Manfred. We've heard from the likes of Bill Daly that their view is that one positive test wouldn't necessarily scuttle the league. We'll see. Um, we've seen in Bundesliga 2, uh, I can't, Dusseldorf's team, Fortuna Dusseldorf, their team had a couple of outbreaks and they've been essentially booted from competition. Um, so what this looks like once it gets off the ground is going to be fascinating. And in the Bundesliga's case, they released a 51-page document to the public um, that outlined all of the sort of measures that they would sort of go through, and as we've seen with Dusseldorf, with the Augsburg coach who bought toothpaste, and with Boyata kissing his teammate, even with how the Bundesliga has approached it, um, issues surface immediately. So, in terms of the NHL returning, in terms of BC being a hub city, uh, the prospect of that, and, and my understanding to this point is the Canucks have, you know, certainly a bit aggressively. I think there's a lot of spillover benefits for the organization. I also think, and you know, JD will roll my roll his eyes uh, at me for this because it maybe seems a little too friendly to power. But I do think there's a sense when you look at how BC has done, and when you look at the import to the league of starting up again. I do think there's a sense of corporate citizenship that comes in. Like there's a sense of being a team player uh, that I also think is guiding 
um, what has been an aggressive pitch process uh, from the Canucks. But, you know, in doing that, one thing I think that we all, as, you know, an interested sort of body that has avoided the worst ravages of this pandemic locally to this point, uh, and we've been blessed to do so, one thing I think we're going to have to demand is, you know, pretty strict transparency from the NHL in terms of what it looks like and pretty sort of strict adherence to whatever guidelines the likes of Bonnie Henry and, and Premier John Horgan spell out uh, for the league. If, you know, a positive test is going to result in XYZ per the government, you know, it's going to be important that we all demand, whether we're sports fans or just interested, you know, public citizens, uh, that those are adhered to strictly. What about the the talk of, and I know Tom Gillardi, uh, Stars order, uh, owner, poured cold water on this yesterday, but what about the talk of you know, perhaps using some WHL uh, arenas as well for all of this? Does this just seem a little too far-fetched? Because it does to me, at least. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is far-fetched, period. I mean, it's not... Just because just it's an ECHL or an AHL hockey rink, like forget Major Junior, other pro hockey rinks, are not necessarily up to NHL standard, right? Like there is retrofitting and a variety of things that has to happen in terms of TV lighting, in terms of capacity, in terms of, you know, the boards, the glass. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty significant process to get buildings or, or ice sheets to be up to NHL standard. Uh, the CBA calls for five-star hotels for, for players and support staff, and, and it was great when I got to live that life. Um, and then the... <laughs> The, the fact of the matter is, too, is that, and this is going to be a factor whether it's, you know, St. Paul or Edmonton or Vancouver or what have you, you know, if you're going there, you're probably going there for a round-robin tournament and two rounds at least. And so we're talking about a month and a half of people's lives, and I know this seems like a petty concern, but it's like, you got to be able to sell players on it. Like, hey, we're going to Cranbrook for six weeks, like. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's a real factor that people are going to have to navigate. So, like, I think that that was an example, perhaps, of, you know, um, I mean, Tom Gillardi on this program said that he hadn't heard it, and that's an NHL owner. So, I do wonder if there's a level to which uh, the premier was a, a bit a bit out far ahead of his skis on that one, relative to the actual conversations that are going on at the league level and the Canucks' participation in them through, you know placing the aggressive bid that we all know they've done over the past week or 10 days. Yeah, it's been quoted on the station before is that, you know, these are television studios, these arenas. And yeah, if you don't mm -hmm. fit up to, uh, you know, the standard of that, well, they're not going to be able to do it there. We're talking to Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver. Hey, Tom, not really going to grovel this time. I think I got that all out of my system earlier, as you so eloquently <laughs> described. But I was curious, there was a report earlier, I think it was this week or, or late last week, I mean, it's all been a blur, what are days anymore, but uh, it was about some of the restrictions that might be considered, I think it was Ryan Rashog too who reported this, if they do have a return to play protocol, things like no fighting, things like uh, spacing on face-offs, a little bit like the uh, line of scrimmage in the CFL, that was kind of the mm -hmm. analogy that I had made. That just seems so stupid to me. And, you know, like, I, I don't discount the reporting, but, like, that just seems preposterous. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Like, is that an actual feasible plan that is going to happen? Or, like... I, I, I've got I'm, a lot of thoughts, bud. Sorry? <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts on this, for sure. Okay, let's, think, let's have them. Bring it. Well, I, I, think the, I think the thing we need to understand and that I haven't heard discussed at as great length as I think it will be in the event that we get to the point of 
discussing the nuts and bolts of what a return for NHL hockey or, or hockey in general means in this sort of new reality we're in. But I think there are a variety of unique concerns for hockey, which is the most indoor and the germiest of the professional sports, and by a lot, right? I mean, you think about the locker room setting and the sweaty gear and fans that are placed on that sweaty gear so that it dries between morning skate and game day. Um, You certainly think about the interactions that players regularly have on the ice, not just the contact, not just lining up on draws, but also the post-whistle shenanigans, um, the celebrations, the big hockey hugs. Uh, And then you think about, you know, the overall sort of nature, what we've learned about this virus, how much better it seems to aerosolize indoors, on and on. Um, You you know, there's going to be some really unique challenges. I guess over the past... Oh, Drance not Drance, uh, paying his there? cell phone bills. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll pick him up. Uh, redial him if we we lost him. Uh, hey, you yeah. know what, people? <laughs> um, we need you to contribute to this conversation. I need to hear who Thomas Drance is from yeah. the Wire. Yeah. Because uh, I'm actually struggling a little bit with this one, to be truthful. Um, Burrell. Drance is Burrell. Okay. Well, okay. Hold on. He's back on now. He's back here with us. So. The line's good. We good there, Croker? All right, pick up. Uh, we lost you a bit there. Uh, Where, where'd you lose? Uh, you know, well, I, you, going. It was kind of kind of like as soon as you got going there, you started to like okay. the germiest sport of yeah, them all. Yeah, it was like the stutter, germiest, and then yeah, it, the germiest pro sport indoors. We've learned a lot about this virus. It seems to aerosolize more effectively indoors. And one thing I've been thinking about, gentlemen, is we expect hockey players to play through anything, right? You think about the most famous play call in this market, right? He'll play on crutches if he has to, mm-hmm. right? Um, now you're going to go to professional NHL players, guys who've, you know, <laughs> had teeth removed and gone back into the game, guys who've played, you know, with broken ribs, with um, a variety of insane ailments, guys who don't take off their skate when they know they've broken their foot in a game because they know if they do, they won't be able to get it back on. <laughs> like, these yeah. guys are yeah. nuts. And now you're going to go to a bunch of NHL players and say, hey, if you get the sniffles, you're out for two weeks. Like, really? Like, that's gonna, we're going we're gonna to expect 100% of players to adhere to that immediately? Like, that dramatic a shift in their mental view of toughness, of their own availability to play every game? Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a really fascinating mental challenge for players, and, and probably, honestly, a pretty fascinating administrative challenge for the league, uh, because... You know, you're, you're probably looking at a situation where guys are going to have to be checked out regularly and tested at regularly for, you know, COVID-19 and the, and the coronavirus infection. But in addition to that, you know, there's a variety of other things they're going to have to be super careful about. Um, and you probably are going to want a lot of players to be checked out independently, not by team medical uh, facility or medical, you know, staff. So that's going to be a fascinating sort of wrinkle, too. And one that I think could fundamentally alter, you know, a, a thing that we've come to expect from the people who play this game. All right, let's talk about some of your content on the athletic this week. I want to start with uh, a piece that uh, you did with uh, uh, a couple others, including James Myrtle, but uh, snubbed. And I saw there's uh, a few of these uh, that were on the athletic this week, but uh, the Hall of Fame case for Alexander McGillney. I'm 100% behind you on this one. I had him on my all time Canucks team and ultimately. 
Uh, he didn't make it, but uh, state the case. I had him as the center on my team. Yeah, but you screwed up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nobody's ever seen him play center, ever. I was gaslit by hockey reference. Yeah, well, do your Sorry, homework. Sorry, Grant. Go, do ahead. Go ahead. Do your homework. Please. Uh, state we, the case. We, week after week, I come on rink, uh, rink-wide, and one's first question somehow le- leads back to the Maple Leafs. Um, <laughs> hey! Whoa, Croker was on it. Yeah. Whoa. Holy crap. Wow, he's like, not sleeping back there. It's like welcome, welcome to Wadden and Drance talk Josh Levo for an hour. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think. Hey, listen, Drancer, we've. I think the only player we've had on Rankwide was Josh Levo. Do you remember that, JD? It was a while ago. Yeah, it was a terrible. It's like interview. when they. No, it wasn't. It was when we when they. Like, it was a good interview. You were terrible in it, but no, I wasn't talking about us, pal. I wasn't talking about us. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he is the only Canuck player that we've actually had on this. Now, we haven't requested for anyone, but anyway, uh, go on. Fabulous. So, sorry, look, McGillney, I mean, I talked to Beret for the piece, and McGillney, uh, McGillney and Beret obviously still play um, pickup hockey regularly, at least prior to the pandemic they did. Uh, Beret says that McGillney is still excellent, but he doesn't have the mobility that he obviously once did uh, when he was lighting up the league. You know, McGillney's one of six players in the history of the NHL who scored 75 or more goals in a single season. He was an absolute trailblazer when he defected to join the NHL. He really set the stage for what became the Russian invasion of hockey in the, you know, early 90s, late 80s. And, you know, I mean, he was a remarkable, remarkable player. You think about what he did on a line with Pat LaFontaine in Boston. And I think people forget this, but McGillney had this series of backhand geeks that were a lot like a slightly like slightly higher work rate version of the Kucherov no-move geeke. <laughs> they were unbelievable. If you go watch McGillney highlights and see his backhand finishes, he was such a monster. Uh, Vancouver was not sort of the best years for him. He still played unbelievably. The 95-96 season that Burray authored as a Canuck, you know, 107 points on the line with Cliff Ronning and Martin Jelena. That's the seventh best season in Canucks history by uh, the point share statistic tracked at Hockey Reference. Um, only West Coast Express members and gentlemen named Sedin and Bure have ever done better than him. And even then, some of their best seasons are not reflected, right? Like, he was at an insanely high level uh, that one season in Vancouver. And then he went to New Jersey, played, you know, played two straight Stanley Cup finals, was a big part of those Devils teams, including the 2000 Stanley Cup winning Devils team. And look, he was a huge part. He was the best player on that Maple Leafs roster, you know, on the line with Sundin and... Darcy Tucker, I don't have to tell you about this one, mm-hmm. but, you know, that team frustrated the Ottawa Senators, gave us some pretty memorable moments. And, you know, you talk to guys like Travis Green or Gary Roberts or Darcy Tucker, like the guys who played with him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they all say he's the best player they've ever played with. And these are guys who also played with Sundin, with a variety of other, you know, Hall of Fame or Hall of Fame caliber players. Even among them, you know, McGillney stood out. And, and I think the final quote that sort of Beret gave me that stayed with me, in addition to Beret just bringing the conversation again and again back to McGillney's goal-scoring ability, because Beret is nothing if not a guy who loves goals and players who can score goals. But he said, look, I've played with great players. I played with Gretzky and Iserman and Howe in All-Star games. Like, I've been blessed to play with great players, and I'm telling you, Alexander McGillney is right there in that group. Wow. And when you have a group of Hall of Famers like 
LaFontaine, Burray, Martin Brodeur, Patrick Aliash, um, you know, all sort of saying the same thing about a guy. I mean, I think that should matter a lot. You know what stands out to me is early in his career, his third year in, he scores 39 goals in 67 games. The next year, he improves by 37 goals. He scores 76 in 77 games. And, of course, he's part of that uh, trivia of all the guys that have scored uh, 70 goals uh, in the NHL. Of course, him being one of them. That's just unbelievable. A goal a game almost. Totally. And and, and the other thing to remember... Yeah, really good. And the other thing to remember is there's been so little contact between the West and and people behind the Iron Curtain uh, during that era that when McGilney came over and was really sort of this trailblazer, like when Krutov and Larionov and Makarov and Fatisov, like once that first wave of Russian-born players came to a man, if you talk to them about it, they all spent the first two years getting sick all the time because there were a variety of germs and viruses going around in the West that they'd never been exposed to. Like, literally, they had a world-colliding moment that wasn't just cultural, but was biological, like, impacted their health uh, for those first few years as they, as, you know, essentially, Soviet players began to reintegrate with the wider world of hockey. And so that's another thing to note. Like, there were the challenges that he dealt in dealt with in terms of joining the NHL, not just even his path there, but once he got there, unprecedented and so to have the type of success he had as early as he did i mean i i I think we need to remember it in that political biological context too because it does make what he accomplished in buffalo even more impressive yeah and, and i think the political context too is especially important when we're talking about this because you had the you know, the good guys over in Soviet Russia losing a lot of their talent. And for me, I think this is an (laughs) underreported part of the story. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So on brand. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I had to get into that. Uh, But you know what? We're also going to talk a little bit about your look at the Canucks' future as opposed to the past where McGillney was theoretically playing center. I'm just going to keep leaning into that bit. Uh, and, and you wrote about their top 10 prospects. And look, we could go through each player one by one, but we have this thing called a clock we have to adhere to. So mm-hmm, we will instead sure. get your synopsis of the sis- the entirety of the system, its strengths, its weaknesses, and where you see potential for, I guess, some, some volatility, uh, like upward mobility from players that, uh, you know, give them a chance to be top four or top six type pieces for this team. Yeah, well, and let me start first by thanking you, first of all, JD. You're one of the first people that I chat with, and you know, your knowledge of this system, as much as I'm loath to give you any credit, um, you know, your, your knowledge of all of the sort of junior hockey ranks in these amateur feeder systems, um, various international leagues, is, is really through the roof. And you gave me a lot of sort of good starting places uh, to begin with. And, and when I talk to scouts, for the most part, um, they all seem to share your opinion. And, and even Aww. those who didn't said that's an interesting argument. Uh, even if it was sort of guys who had just ended up as honorable mentions like Jack Malone. So kudos to you, and, and I appreciate you taking the time to help out your buddy. I'm just um, going to puke. Despite all the trash we talk in public. Um, so <laughs> I appreciate that. The, in terms of the system overall, the Canucks, I think, have you know some decent depth uh, in terms of the wingers. You know, we had Lind. Put Pod Colson and Hoglander all in the top four. And while, you know, I think there's not a ton of upward mobility in terms of Cole Lind, like I sort of look at Cole Lind as a middle nine 
sort of or a, a middle six kind of forward prospect, Hoglander and Pod Colson can potentially, you know, get to something beyond that. Um, maybe, right? Like, but there's no there's no Brock Besser anymore. There's no Quinn Hughes. Like, there's no guy who's going to step in next season and be a huge impactful rookie like the Canucks have enjoyed over the past five years. So, you know, there is a new sort of level here, and that level is lower than it has been in, in past seasons. And that's going to make navigating this cap crunch that the Canucks are going to be facing here, especially as Pedersen and Hughes become more expensive on their second contracts, difficult. Um, because other than, you know, those top two, I think there's a pretty significant drop to Jack Rathbone, who's really the only guy in their system who I look at as being, you know, maybe having some two, three upside. I think the others are kind of four fives if they hit. And so, you know, again, you sort of fall off after that. And, you know, there's going to, the Canucks don't likely have a a pick until probably the seventies or later, depending on how the 2020 NHL draft gets sorted out. And I don't think we're expecting it to be, um, you know, before the resumption of play anymore. So that sort of throws what happens with the Miller pick into into doubt again so you know we'll we'll sort of have to see but there is talent there there is some interesting pieces there are some intriguing lower end bets that could maybe accelerate um in a, in a similar way to we've seen that we've seen guys like Adam Gaudet sort of take big steps as as 19 and 20 year olds draft plus one plus two seasons but you know overall you look at it and you think you like the wings there's not a ton of high-end defensive prospects coming that you're looking to really push to make an impact in the NHL in the next year or two. There's certainly not a ton of centermen, but that's probably less of a pressing issue, seeing as Gaudette, Horvat, and Pedersen are all under the age of 25. And, you know, in summary, I think it looks like a roughly average prospect pool, maybe a bit below average for, uh, by NHL standards, and that's a pretty far departure from where this organization's been for most of the past five years, just because of, you know, the graduation of Pedersen, Besser, and Hughes in particular. Yeah, you know what? For me, I think it's probably a sign of a very well-run machine that one year into being competitive, they have one pick rounds one through three and a below-league average system. You really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, That, to me, is a sign of good times ahead. Uh, Drancer, you, Drancer, you are a first line forward, but you were grinding it here with a couple of grinders, you know, skating, on, skating on your, skating on your me. wings that here. Was, so that was so nice. We do appreciate so it. Yeah. I'm going to be sick again after all of that, but no, this uh, is, this is boys. This is what happens when I have a, have one before I get on the radio. I get, yeah, off. yeah. I don't oh. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Love you too, yeah. buddy. Uh, thanks so enjoy your long weekend. Thanks so much. That's Thomas Drance from the Athletic. My in new favorite guest. Yeah, know, in the history of the program. You guys, you guys can you guys can text sweet sweet nothings to each other later on. By the way, look at the clock. Yeah, we got to get out. Yeah. <laughs> on the other side, we are gonna we're opening up the mailbag. We're gonna answer your questions next. It's ringside. We forgot about the wire with Drance. The show that always scores <sighs> on TSN ten forty. This is Rink Wide on DSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. Most deaf on the beat there. Miss Fat Booty, you like this one? Uh, I could do this one in karaoke. I, I know the lyrics this one real well. Yeah, I bet. Karaoke's cool. I've never done karaoke in my life, though. If I, I was going to do it, I'd do hip-hop, though. I, I can't sing. I, I like, legitimately can't sing. 
I did karaoke on a date a few months ago, and I did, um, so like one of my favorite things to do. That's an awkward thing to do on a date. No, I made it fun. Good. Okay, and, and here's how it went. I'm going to peel back the curtains a bit here. So if you're if you're if you look like me and you grow up in a very poor uh, neighborhood where everybody's into to hip hop and, and and all that stuff, right? That and was uh, where in Siberia was it? Like east uh, east Havana. Uh, <laughs> and so, I've been like to Cuba, by the way, it's it's the best. I've been to Havana. I love it. It's I want to yeah. go back there yeah. so bad. When you want to move off. there? Of course you do. Hell yeah, yeah dude, for training. But uh, no, like every now and then. For training. Like, you'd be hanging out with them, and it would just, like, not be lost on me that, like, I was the white guy listening to, like, Led Zeppelin, so I'd do, like, skedaddle to, like, hip-hop songs and sing along just to be goofy or whatever, and all of a sudden, my synapses were firing off at the right moment on the date, and I was like, you know what I'm going to do at karaoke? Find me in the club by 50 Cent. And so I'm like, <laughs> oh my god! find me in the club. Bottle full of bub, mommy. You got what you need if you... Into, you know what I mean? And I'm just doing it like that and having a blast. And it was a uh, hit. That's awesome. Yeah, I would do... Um uh, Mine's Playing Tricks on Me by Ghetto Boys. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miss Fat Booty by... Um, I, my most deaf, who we just heard the beat of, Ghetto I'd do Boys. that one. Cool. And I would do like any song that the tri- uh, Tribe Called Quest made, because I can recite pretty much all their songs front to back, every album. Yeah. No, Nobody's I, doing Eminem? Come on. <laughs> yeah. That would be me. Who listens to Eminem? Yeah. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Let's start with our buddy Faber. Hey, or, he, he was the beautiful boater I was talking about in my tweet that I didn't want to let down. Oh, Faber was? Yeah. I thought you were a, mocking Trump in that. I was. I okay. Was. Yeah. But he is a beautiful boater, that, that Chris Faber. He votes. Now, when you... Okay, yeah. Uh, all right, anyway. Uh, that's a little behind the curtain. Okay, uh, Faber, of course, uh, from Canucks Conversation. Very good podcast. Uh, you guys should check them out. Uh, can you tell us more about Rathbone and why his game translate, translates to being a top four defenseman in the NHL? Do you think that? Like, I, I think he can reach that level. I think the big question for him is going to be whether he can mitigate the defensive errors and the defensive blunders to a level where he's providing a net value positive for the team with what everything he can do in the offensive zone i mean he's got a decent shot he's a really great distributor of the puck and he's not afraid to jump into the offensive cycle do you know what i mean like he'll he'll get right down into that rush as part of the second wave he'll lead a rush he will come into play when the team is cycling and they're trying to create movement around the perimeter to kind of open up spots on the inside of the the uh the hash marks where you can really start scoring goals and be effective i mean He's got some really high-end offensive potential. He can skate really well. I mean, like, there are parts of his game that are just built for the modern way that the NHL is played. And, I mean, even if you look back at his draft year, there were some who believed he had first- or second-round talent, but because of his, let's call it unorthodox development path, weren't willing to take him that high in the draft, right? So I think that kind of reflects in how successful he's been at Harvard through his first two seasons. Is he going to sign with the Canucks? I, th- I think so. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get the sense that he's not going to. Yeah. And I think, you know what? You want to know why Canucks fans are so interested in this Judd Brackett story? I, I mean, Jack Rathbone is, is all Judd. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he, he found him at that high school playing those games. He's the one who communicated with him, did his homework, made sure that his development path wasn't going to be an impediment to long-term success. And when I talked to Rathbone for an article I wrote on EPRinkside.com, he said to me, like, yeah, I do feel a certain debt of gratitude to the organization because they were the only group in the NHL who didn't balk when I told them that I want to spend an additional year at high school to be with my brother Teddy. So I think that means a lot to him, and I would be surprised if he's going to be 
flying from the organization as a result. The only thing that would give me pause is that he would want to be closer to his brother on yeah. the East Coast. And he always has that in his back pocket, right? Like, there is yeah. always the chance. And, and, and if you do have a good another season, if they do have another one, yeah. uh, you know, there could be better teams sort of sniffing around. And then if you got the pick of the litter. Oh, I mean, like, if he goes to the end of next year, then all 30 teams are going to be talking to him. Sure. I like this one. This is from Ian. Uh, what one move do you think is imperative for Jim and company this summer? Why and how would you handle it if it was your decision? Well, I think that that decision is, I mean, we, we already know where the, the one everybody's talking about is heading, but I think that the other big decision for the Canucks is going to be buying out Brandon Sutter because they're just not, they're going to be so loath to do it. There's so much respect for him in that organization, and I don't even want to poo-poo that. Like, power to them. If he's that good of a guy, and, and every account is that he brings that kind of environment with him when he joins the team, like uh, th that's there's not negative value in that like I, I understand that you would rather have players like that than players who are on the opposite end of that spectrum but i mean we're talking about a, a fourth line that's slated next year to make about what 11 million dollars if we've got brandon sutter louis Yikes. erickson and <laughs> jay beagle lining up <laughs> the only contract they can get out from under is brandon sutters and it's you know you can say it's unfortunate you can say that this is why i was arguing two years ago that they needed to expose him in the expansion draft or three years ago rather uh you know what i mean i i really do think that that's the big decision for them because they need cap flexibility they need it desperately another one i would say is trading jake Bertanen. you know that that to me is a big one because jake foundation player for us yeah there you go yeah there it is yeah, only suiting that it came like three minutes after I said it. But uh, <laughs> hey, that's it's on brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Croker never lets us down. Consistency uh, matters, but also they I know what it's like to be in that chair. So I was finding something else. Him. You'll yes. see it. Yeah, great yeah. production uh, value. I, 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 oh, I, I can't wait. No, he's he's doing something. Uh, no, I think like they have to trade Jake for Tannen because the yeah. contract that he's going to ask for is going to be well outside the reasonable demands for yeah. somebody uh, with his true talent level. So. Peace out. Yeah. Um, this is from Marcus. Who, who, hey, nice. Hey, who is the most bad. underrated Canucks prospect? The most underrated one is, uh, that's a, ooh, that's a tough one. I, I do like Jack Malone, who came up in the last hit. I think they, they took him probably in the fifth round uh, last year, fifth or sixth round out of uh, Youngstown Phantoms in the USHL. He played at Cornell. But he didn't really play at Cornell because they were one of the deepest, oldest teams in the NCAA, which meant that he was either their 13th forward or a healthy scratch. And you're not going to hold that against him when he's surrendering two, three, four, or five years to some of these players. So I liked what I saw in some, some brief stints there, and I think he can actually make an impact if he gets the opportunity to play. So he's, he's kind of that one guy that nobody's talking about. Uh, Grady's asking me this question. How do uh, Yeah, I'll answer. <laughs> how do I feel uh, about the okay? How does Wadden feel about the NHL adding a second team to Toronto as an economical spike to get revenues back up oh, for the league God. post pandemic? Now, Sakaris gave this as a hot take, and we have heard of the you know Toronto market being perhaps you know a viable market for a second team. How do I feel about it, Grady? I I don't care. Like I, honestly, I, nothing's going to affect how big the Leafs you know reaches in southern ontario or across canada or whatever i mean you just have a, all that history but like if it's good for the league i say giddy up I, i'm okay with it i mean 
I would rather have a, t- a second team in Toronto than a team in Arizona. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, mean, they're, they're, I hope that answers your question there, Grady. But uh, no, I, I, I don't think it would have. I mean, do you think the Rangers care about the Islanders? And, the, you know, the Islanders had a wealth of success. I mean, arguably one of the best teams in NHL history through the early 80s. And, you mm-hmm. know, even though, even though the Rangers don't have at least the, um, you know, history that the Islanders have, recent history that is, Rangers still do quite all right in that town. Um, this is one directed towards you. This is from Michael. What would be the rationale for returning Jet Wu to Calgary instead of Utica? Uh, there really is none. Like, if you're returning a second-round pick for his overage season, like, just toss in the towel. <laughs> like, if, if he's not good enough to play in the AHL next year, that is a really bad sign. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you wanted a longer answer than that, but that's the truthful answer. Sure. Like, they cannot return him at that point. You're so far behind the eight ball. Uh, I saw one question that I really wanted to answer. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Ball Hockey Bure named three hidden gems the Canucks should target in the third round of the 2020 NHL draft. Yeah, that's right up your alley right there. And I'm going to, like, you know, Tom was talking up all these leagues, and and I'm not even trying to, like, pump my own tires here, but it's so funny seeing what a hockey man I've become because, like, I would never cite players from a junior A league, and that's what I'm going to do right now. The Canucks should target... Ethan Edwards in the third round of the NHL draft put in a great performance for Canada at the World Junior A Challenge. He's playing with the Spruce Grove uh, Saints, I believe, in the AJHL. I mean, there's so many names like that in the AJHL that are like four or three words or whatever. Anyway, hell of a player. He can skate really damn well. He's got great offensive instincts. I think the big thing for Ethan Edwards is going to be putting on some weight when he goes to Michigan next year. I mean, look, if he's going to Michigan next year, that's a pretty good sign. It's one of the most stacked recruiting classes in league history as far as the NCAA is concerned. They're going to be a fun team to watch. Another player that the Canucks might want to consider in the third round, and this is a little bit of a deep cut. I'm not even writing about it because I don't want any of the other scouting outlets to kind of steal my my stuff here. But David St. Louis was looking at the Russian leagues for us, and he unearthed this one guy, Dmitry Ryshevsky. He can play. He can really play. He's not even on central scouting's list, I don't think. This kid is for real. Uh, he's got high-end offensive potential. Uh, he's, he's got size. He put up a ton of points. I think the next highest scorer on his team was 30 or 40 points behind him. So this guy's for real. I like him a lot, and I think that that's somebody they should target. Another player, and this, you know what? I'm going to go a little bit off the board on this one, too. Uh, but it's not off the board for elite prospects. We ranked him highly. We had him at 58. Everybody I talk to in the league hates him. But I love him, and that's Cross Hannes out of the Portland Winterhawks. He's got a little bit of uh, piss and vinegar in his game. He's got fantastic hands. He can really handle below the hash marks. Loves to get in close to the net. He's fearless. He throws the body. Uh, You know, there's some controversy there. Is he soft? Is he somebody who's just a pesk? I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of violence out of this kid. I love watching him play hockey, and and I think he's going to be available to them. It's a high upside play. But I like it. Okay, we, we're up against it, but I, I want to squeeze this one in. This is from JoJo in Edmonton. I've been hearing some chatter about how part of the perception of Yule Levy's stock being negatively affected by other players taken around him overperforming. Injuries aside, would you concur with that assessment? Mm, no. Like, I, I think that that's like part of fan perception, perhaps, but I don't think that's part of the actual 
kind of lipstick on a pig a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think that Ulevi has had to suffer a lot of unfair criticism, like the extremely irresponsible reporting. Yeah, but I, I mean, the players around him overperforming. I mean, uh, that's a good thing, no? isn't yeah. it? Like, well, no, at no, least he, for the teams that, uh, the that teams drafted, drafted them. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's saying, though, does that create the yeah, perception that sure. Ulevi's a bigger bust than yeah. he is? But, but uh, I mean, JoJo, when you're picked there, you, yeah, uh, that's, that's, you can't be a bust at that point, right? No, and that was the last time that that they didn't listen to Judd on their first-round pick. All right, we'll put uh, a bow on the mailbag segment. Uh, guys, appreciate it. Some really good stuff there. And uh, we did break down some of the cast members of The Wire. With we TSN still need to know who Drance is. Like, we need to figure out done... Drance. All right, tell you what, we'll do it in the break. Yep. On the other side, we'll give Drance his Wire character. This is Rinkwide. One more segment to go on the show that always scores on TSN 1040. You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Hey, welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. That that list, little Biggie Smalls here, that morning list. Yeah, yeah. How do you leave? How do you leave? Like, And then I heard oh, someone say, oh, you can't be on that list if you only made two albums. Yeah, if they're that good, you can't. If can. they're that, like, they are like seminal hip-hop classics. Wait, 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 wait. I think I know who Drance is. Okay, what do we got? By the way, guys, uh, and uh, we are doing... We Okay, we had our mailbag today, and then we had someone ask us which TSN 1040, I guess, staffers, because it's not just the personalities, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's everybody, um, would be characters of Anybody The Wire. cool enough to matter. And, and we broke it down. We've we figured out a few. We've got uh, Moj's Bunk. Um, Sakaris is Tommy Carcetti. Sakaris is Carcetti. I'm a Ziggy Omar hybrid. You know, I don't know about that one. I, 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 I'm sorry. I can't give you the Omar. Really? Yeah. Who's out there taking because shots? Because Omar is... Yeah, I who's, mean, that, who's out there taking I, shots? I hear you. I hear you. <sighs> who, anyway. who comes into somebody's uh, kitchen... Insults them. I just I have so much respect for Omar. I don't want to give it to you. Yeah, no, I get that. That's why I'm half Ziggy. <laughs> That's why I'm half Ziggy. Okay, I'll, okay, maybe, maybe I'll hear it. Maybe I'll hear it. Uh, have we figured out me yet? I'd like to be Marlo. Can I be Marlo? No, you're Marlo's Marlo. cool AF. Like I want to be Marlo. Maybe you can be Avon. Oh, I'll be Avon too. Yeah, yeah. I think you can pull off Avon. Okay, but Drance, I said this earlier, and I'm coming back to it. I just remembered this. He's Burrell. He is Burrell. Yeah. Always cozying up to power. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who don't know The Wire, this is going completely over your head right now. But uh, who, uh, who is Brother? Now you have some homework to do. You can yeah. go and watch The Wire while and we Jay Pat is Lester. through this pandemic. You think he's Lester. I think J. Pat is Yeah, is I think McNulty. J. Pat's Lester. Yeah, because Lester's always figuring things out. Yeah, he's always diving I, into stuff. Like, J. Pat loves to dive into numbers and yeah, crunch it okay. and then analyze it. That's Lester Freeman right there. Okay. Who's Bubbles? Who's Bubbles? Oh, boy. You know what? Andy's pissing me off today. He's Bubbles. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Andy Cole yelling in the background. Yeah. Um, Croker, what do we got coming up next? Is it Ray and Dregs next? Oh, it is. Oh, we okay. Right. With updates from Andy Cole. Excellent. Coolest Excellent. Guy in the, I'm uh, looking building. more forward to the updates with Andy Cole than I am the Ray and Dregs podcast. Not to. I'm texting Ray that you just said. No, that. Yes, please don't. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> I'm going to text Paul. Uh, 
you got something for us here, Croker? You you, you kind of teased it, or, or is it? Are we going to do it on the way out, or what? What is Wait, it? Wait, no, it was the tweet sound effect. That was it. Oh, what? Wait, that's it. That's it. Oh, I thought you liked that. I dug it up. Okay. Oh my god. Okay, play the music. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> Wait, I wait, thought wait. He, I thought he put together some audio of something he clipped oh, and made it. Like, I, no, was... I peaked last week with the Harmon oh, Durazio. Wait, thing. wait, 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 wait. Is Trevor Daniel Daniel? Sorry, or is he Proposition Joe? Ooh, ooh, ooh. he's got some Proposition Joe in him. Okay, well, well, we'll let that one linger. Maybe we'll pick it up again next Saturday. He's got we, some Prop Joe in no, him. No one else will probably forget we even talked about it. All right, yeah, that yeah, was no Rinkwide. It was the show that always scores. Coming up next, the Ray and Dregs podcast. And Andy Cole's doing updates today. Have a great long weekend, everyone.